Hey everyone, it's Sam Knight here. This week's free episode features an interview we did on the recent primary triumph of Larry Krasner, Philadelphia's progressive prosecutor. We talked to Philly-based journalist Ted Kelly on the limits to past critiques that he and others have made of Krasner and the movement to elect progressive prosecutors in general. We also released the weekly news rundown that we put together for all our weekly Patreon shows. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for just $5 a month to help us keep District Sentinel Radio on the air. Remember that you also get a subscription to Means TV with your Patreon sign-up at $5. Also, if you can't afford the $5 subscription right now, reach out to us on Twitter at the DC Sentinel. Our DMs are open. Or email us, dcsentinelnews at yahoo.com. We're happy to add you to our list of temporarily unsubscribed people who want access to our content but can't afford it right now. It can be rough out there in the best of times, and things are particularly rough right now for a lot of people as we struggle to emerge from this pandemic. Anyway, enjoy this week's show and support our independent journalism if you can. First, some news. After a ceasefire was brokered on Thursday, Israeli forces once again stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem, a provocative action clearly intended to provoke Hamas and uh, allow Israel to resume its mowing the grass campaign in Palestine. Enormous damage has already been inflicted on the Palestinian people, particularly those in Gaza who sustained 11 straight days of bombing. The World Health Organization surveying the damage and seeing significant trauma more than 8,500 people injured, and many unable to be cared for, with over 30 health facilities damaged. More than 50 schools have also been destroyed. At least 65 children have been killed in this latest Israeli assault. Also on Thursday, we got a preview of what it could look like in Afghanistan after the U.S. military leaves. Death rained from above, from beyond Afghanistan's borders. The Pentagon calls it over-the-horizon operations. Here was Senator Mike Rounds, South Dakota Republican, talking about over-the-horizon operations with Brigadier General Matthew Trollinger, who oversees political and military affairs in the Middle East for the Joint Staff. This was from a hearing before the Senate Armed Services Committee. Can we successfully and continually combat threats posed by the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and other violent extremist organizations via over-the-horizon operations? I absolutely believe we can, Senator. Uh, We have the capabilities uh, to be able to posture in the region where it's required. We have the capabilities to be able to monitor uh, uh, potential adversaries, attract those adversaries, and then uh, strike when conditions uh, permit and allow. If it goes anything like the U.S. drone warfare program, expect a lot of innocent people to be incinerated. During a five-month period under President Obama, for example, more than 90% of those killed by U.S. targeted assassinations were not those that the government had intended to kill. Major bank lobbying groups are pressuring the USDA to ditch about $4 billion in debt relief to black farmers who've historically faced discrimination in loan servicing. The banks are claiming they're going to get screwed because if the USDA pays off all the debt at once, then banks won't be able to collect years of future interest payments. Just the audacity of these banks. They uh, want to keep the fruits of their racist labor. 
Overall, the number of farmers in the U.S. has dropped significantly over the last century. That's particularly true of black farmers, of which only about 40,000 remain in the U.S. There were about a million a century ago, but numbers have dropped thanks in large part to foreclosures and predatory loans by these very same banks. This week, the House passed legislation to give additional funding to the Capitol Police in light of the attacks carried out by Trump supporters on January 6th. Despite the Capitol Police's complete lack of will to actually confront reactionary violence that day, per The Intercept, the bill includes $350 million for the Capitol Police clowns and $720 million for the Department of Defense and the National Guard. The bill passed by a single vote helped along by three members of the so-called squad, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Jamal Bowman all voted present, enabling the bill's passage. Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Cori Bush, other members of the squad, voted no. Congresswoman Omar told The Intercept, quote, I am tired of the fact that any time where there is a failure in our system of policing, the first response is for us to give them more money, rather than investigate the failings yeah, and hold those revisit this story accountable. a little bit later in the garbage can. So, Ted, we've had you on the show in the past to talk about uh, criminal justice or criminal injustice issues uh, in, in the city of Philadelphia, which uh, is obviously known for its uh, long history of police violence and prosecutorial abuses. Um We've talked about the reformist project of Larry Krasner, the uh, the reformist DA, the so-called progressive prosecutor who uh, was elected in 2017. And we have talked about the uh, these the shortcomings of the progressive prosecutor uh, vision, as it were, and now it seems like in the last few weeks uh, we're kind of reassessing the uh, that critique and to the same extent that there are limits to what a so-called progressive prosecutor can do in the current uh, paradigm and the current uh, uh, strength of reactionaries, there are also limits to the critique of uh, the progressive prosecutor uh, model. Uh, what do you think you've learned about that in, in, in the past few uh, weeks or so? You know, it is, it is fascinating. Um, and that, well, Sam, it might have sounded like that was a lot of like qualifiers on what kind <laughs> of critique we make. It is true. And it, it has been interesting to see uh, the movement take a very dialectical approach, a very strategic approach when it comes to Krasner. Um, because, you know, the fact of the matter is, first of all, that since he became DA, um, it's been the threat against protesters primarily has has been greatly diminished, um, you know, especially last summer. Um, this was a period where, you know, hundreds and hundreds of arrests were made over a very short period of time. And the 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 city uh, has just not made a policy of charging protesters with crimes regularly, which is not what we've seen in the past. There's this sort of citation and then a release, and then you challenge the citation, and it usually doesn't you know, go anywhere from and that. And it's not what we're seeing in other cities around the country. Exactly, yeah. especially now. Um, however, um, we have seen the state 
and when I say the state, I mean like the capitalist state, uh, respond to these protests in a different way, which is attacking one of their own prosecutors, in this case, Larry Krasner, um, who for all intents and purposes is on the side of the state. He is the symbol of criminal justice. He's the top cop. But you know, we, we had over the summer this Trump-appointed federal prosecutor, uh, William McSwain, um, sort of step over the jurisdiction of the Philadelphia district attorney to charge protesters with federal crimes. Mm. Uh, he's now out. Uh, but you know, what, one thing that you would see in Philadelphia all the time is William McSwain's face plastered on billboards all over the city. He was using public funds to sort of raise his profile, which he was going to make, he was planning on making some sort of run for office. Um, but uh, the, the Fraternal Order of Police has been targeting Krasner specifically for a long time um, with a similar style campaign be before the you know, election, the primary election even began. There's been billboards on 95 um, for years now that you know, are calling to, you know, for the voters to fire Krasner, that gun violence has, has gone out of control and that uh, he's not being harsh enough on um, uh, the, the criminal element, you know, none of which is true. But the, 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 I mean, there is a, a, a gun violence crisis in the city. Um, whether the, the cases are skyrocketing, I think, is extremely debatable. Um, but also, nor is it true that he's really been lenient on gun and drug crimes. So it's this, it's this complete mess of hyper-reactionary cop propaganda that, in this case, is targeted against a, a prosecutor, a district attorney. And while Krasner hasn't been as uh, um, amenable as we would like him to certain cases, and we'll talk more about Mumia Abu-Jamal and the latest um, going on with his case later. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, Ted, we've had you on the show several times in the past to talk shit about Larry Krasner. <laughs> 100%. But but he is also, I mean, in other cases, for example, he, he did give uh, Delbert Africa compassionate release, and he has given uh, a certain, some political prisoners release, even if he's um, not as good as we would like him to be on all these cases. Um, but why don't you talk a little bit about what the primary campaign was like? We were only... Uh, privy to analysis from afar, and uh, the FOP and their candidate, Carlos Vega, we only heard about uh, what their fear-mongering campaign was like and how they tried to, tried to paint Philadelphia as if it's like some uninhabitable hellhole, uh, and it didn't work, and Krasner won by a landslide. He won two to one and won by an even wider margin in neighborhoods that uh, where violent crimes are more likely to occur. Right. Um, you know, I have to say that I was, you know, I, like, like you both said, like I'm w one of the, the, the more stubborn and strident critics of Larry Krasner. Um, he, when he sees me in public now, he does sort of like roll his eyes and sigh and going, oh, God, he's... Hell yeah. <laughs> Which is <laughs> rules, frankly. Um, it hasn't been that long, you know, but uh, we've made an impression. But, uh, you know, I was very concerned right before the election that um, Carlos Vega was was going to win because 
you have seen all the the forces, the evil forces that have run this city for for decades before before any of us were even alive. The cops and these right wing Democrats who have controlled the city for so long, um, really lining up behind Vega. Um, you know, Carlos Vega was a homicide prosecutor under Ed Rendell. You know, Ed Rendell was the district attorney um, under uh, Frank Rizzo, you know, the notorious arch racist fascist Frank Rizzo. He, Frank, Ed, Ed Rendell was the one who prosecuted and convicted the Move Nine. Um, mm. a, a hideous, hideous record. Um, he went on to become mayor and then governor and then chair of the the DNC nationally. I mean, he, uh, he control. He has a huge role in in Pennsylvania politics to this day, to the extent that when when Joe Sestak ran for Senate, uh, Ed Rendell was the one who basically called him and said, like, yeah, the Clintons don't want this to happen, so it's not going to happen. And when Joe Sestak ran anyway, they helped get a Republican elected, you know, <laughs> by by trashing Sestak. So they they. Their their control, this mafia-like control of the Democrats and the cops um, in the city, go back a long way. And Vega was is of that, um, you know, that group. Um, it's hyper reactionary. They they um, don't give a shit about the uh, black and brown oppressed uh, people in this city. But they use the epidemic of gun violence that has been allowed to continue. Um, as an excuse to to wage war against those people, um, so it was very concerning that Vega was running and that he had these endorsements, and not to mention the the bizarre propaganda um, that was every wall to wall in the city. Um, and you know, if, if you've seen a John McNesby press conference, he's the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. It is surreal. You know it. It sometimes makes Trump look like a dignified statesman, the, the kind of shit that he says in these press conferences. Mm. So it was a concern. But like you said, uh, Krasner won by a landslide. And I have to say I was surprised. And I'm too stubborn to say pleasantly surprised. But I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that propaganda campaign against Krasner uh, made its way onto uh, Glenn Greenwald's Substack. Uh, via contributor <laughs> Ralph Cipriano. Do you know who this character Ralph Cipriano is? I'm pretty sure he's a right wing, like shock jock type figure here in in Philadelphia. He is was that titled, right? He was, he's well, he's billed by Greenwald as a you know a, a dogged uh, legal reporter, court reporter here. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah. But he wrote a piece: mounting violence casts doubt over the project of progressive reform prosecutors as a spate of progressive district attorneys take office throughout the country. Violent recidivism has some Philadelphians second guessing their reforms, reformist district attorney. I guess they really nailed weren't it. second guessing <laughs> that much. Fucking nailed it, Glenn. <laughs> I mean. It, uh, whatever is happening in Glenn Greenwald's mind is a subject of like morbid fascination <laughs> still. I, um, I mean, the, the, the motivation to like, to take the bait on, on, on publishing attacks on, like, like I said, we've attacked Krasner, but it's from the left. It's very clearly right. from uh, him being too close to the carceral state. Um, right. Not the opposite. We're seeing attacks from the right on him there. It's yeah, it's uh, and and also like it's it's sort of like 
warmed over messaging from a generation ago that I just don't, don't think has the resonance that, that it once did. Um, like the, the Cipriano people and the Vega people, like their, their claim is, you know, Larry Krasner lets violent criminals off the hook. He's not tough on crime. And it's like, you're, you're talking to people and trying to get votes from people who are regularly falsely accused of violent crime, who have, who, who have you know, stop and frisk is a daily reality um, for whom their only interactions with the cops and the courts and the DAs is, uh, you know, at best humiliating and at worst uh, life destroying. Well, it sounds um, like Krasner so, was aware of that dynamic. I think it was yeah. Weigel who tweeted out an exchange he had with Krasner a year ago or a few months ago uh, about the FOP's attacks against him and the way his opponent has positioned himself as as the FOP's candidate. And it's just like, look, if I, I know the constituents here pretty well. If you want to run as the cop's candidate, good luck to you. But <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, Owen Hankins did some interesting reporting at The Intercept uh, about Krasner early on, too. One, one of the good Intercept uh, reporters. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, especially now, I think we, what we've seen is, this is, to me, what, what Krasner's landslide re-election shows is that the massive sea change, like this shift in consciousness, where the, you know, the working class just surged forward with political understanding of what the cops are, what the function of court, courts really are, um, last summer in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And I think this election result is sort of a sign that th that consciousness is not going to regress. You know, people know that, you know, while Krasner is still a prosecutor, he got reelected because the alternative was you know, a sort of return to a, a previous generation of, you know, Rudy Giuliani and Ed Rendell style um, city, you know, martial law. And and whatever uh, whatever violent crime rates are now, I think it's important to note that they are well below what they were in the in the 60s 70s and 80s and it wasn't even until the 80s that we really saw quote unquote tough on crime uh politics taking off and even then that was in the context of you know there were a whole lot of other things going on in in american society it's you know it, it's impossible to say that's like maybe the one thing that helped Reagan over the top, even though the um, the infamous uh, racist Willie Horton ad did seem to help George H.W. Bush uh, secure an election victory in, in 1988. Yeah. And and uh, and that's that's very true. Like the it's it's interesting that the statistics that the Fraternal Order of Police were using about uh, violent crime in the city being like, the, you know, this this amount of murders like this is on Krasner and being like, this was lower than the previous, like under the previous DA's tenure. But I, I, you know, it is also important that we acknowledge that, you know, Philadelphia is the poorest big city in the country. Two of the, the poorest zip codes in, um, in the country are in North Philly. Um, and, and there is like, you know, if you 
talk to people who live in North Philly or in Deep West or in Chester or Southwest, like gun violence probably is their number one concern. Um, you know, if, if you're a high school teacher in this city, you have, you will have students who don't live to graduate because of this. Um, but what's interesting is that, uh, you know, it seems like everybody is very clear on the fact that this, that the fraternal order of police and the cops don't give a shit about solving that problem. They just use it as a, a political, you know, tactic to make the Democrats look weak or whatever. We've given we've given cops tons of money for the past few decades, and they don't seem to be able to fucking solve these criminal problems. I don't know. Maybe we should give that money elsewhere. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the give it to NASA. Give it to NASA. Sure, you know, at least then it's interesting. You get to watch like weird videos of like a truck on another planet. Um, but uh, it's <laughs> but, a helicopter uh, now. See, that's cool. Yeah, we've made our own transformers. <laughs> but. Uh, it, it is it is also true that um, it, like this is a primary election remember yeah the the other side of this uh, battle are also Democrats which is you know something that happens in you know city politics where where you know a single party dominates one horse town yes but it, it is interesting that like, the worst fascists that this city has offered have historically also always been, been Democrats. <laughs> so including Frank Rizzo, by the way. Yeah. So yeah. what can we expect with a second term for Krasner? Um, I mean, him winning his first term was a big deal. And, mm -hmm. you know, he was able to accomplish some good things. Um, still lots of of room for criticism um but then you know being able to go back to the voters and win again based on your on your track record would suggest that you can go even bolder um now maybe maybe i'm casting krasner to be someone he's not and assuming that he might even go bolder but what can we expect you know assuming a second term comes that uh, in that term it's it's interesting, and I know there's a lot of optimism about his second term, um, even from you know people, especially from people in the movement. Um, and you know, keep in mind that he was elected DA in 2017. It was like the first feeling after Trump became president that like, oh shit, okay, maybe there's still something electorally that is possible. Um, but also at the same rate, it's it's important to remember that. Um, you know, Krasner's m biggest promise for his first term was to end cash bail. Um, as of this year, he has been demanding million-dollar bail regularly. Um, he sets bail at $999,999. Um, uh, he actually campaigned on, you know, not pursuing the death penalty in any cases, but he does use the threat of the death penalty when seeking plea deals. Um, there were 800 cases of uh, coronavirus, like confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Philly jails as of last December. Um, and the court system, uh, you know, until just the last couple months has not been processing any uh, cases. So, you know, there's like thousands of cases were put on this backlog 
and people who are in jail who, because they've been set such a high bail, um, have been confined to jails during the COVID pandemic. Um, their court case is scheduled in room 200, which is a room that doesn't exist uh, in the criminal justice center. It's just a, a technical placeholder. Um, and he's been sort of, uh, it was able to use the combination of million dollar bail and the COVID crisis to get an unprecedented number of plea bargains, you know? And, you know, like I, I talked to a guy who, um, who took a plea bargain, not because he did what he was accused of, but because he couldn't take it anymore. And he knew that he would be safer in a state prison than he would be in a jail. So, mm. you know, that's what we have seen from Krasner recently on top of, you know, which we'll talk about um, him being the primary obstacle to freeing Mumi Abu-Jamal. Um, however, uh, it, it's still, it's not summer yet. And I expect that this summer is going to be as big or bigger than the type of uprising that we saw last year um, with, you know, given the, you know, Philadelphia had a 5,000 strong protest in solidarity with Palestine uh, last week. And if, to combine these two movements in one is going to be a hot, long and a hot summer. Um, and it's nice that Krasner might just uh, continue his policy of arrest, uh, citation and release. But um, as for anything else, I, I don't know. I'm the, the most pessimistic, I think, of the people I know regarding Krasner right now. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm not good at predictions. The, 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 the fact that we're even able to have this conversation and say that there is space for uh, the movement to do something is a very positive uh, development, whereas if Carlos Vega had won, uh, we would probably be having a very different conversation. Yes, it, it would be a crisis. It really would have been. And uh, it would have had a, a chilling effect on the movement, for sure. You mentioned uh, the uh, situation uh, in Philly prisons and in COVID and Mumia. All of those, uh, unfortunately, relate to each other. Uh, what's the latest on, on Mumia? So Mumia had open heart surgery. Um, he contracted COVID. Uh, he was diagnosed with um, congestive heart failure. And he was uh, transferred to a hospital and uh, was given, was, you know, op was open heart surgery was performed to put some stents in his arteries because of, you know, the, the problems that have sort of accrued after uh, 40 years in prison. And, uh, you know, it was a very serious thing. And it's, there's a policy for, um, it's actually illegal, it's against the law, and it's against the Hippocratic Oath, of course, but there's a policy of shackling prisoners when they are in hospital. Um, and, you know, just the thought of this guy, like a great grandfather, a very kind and brilliant man who's in jail for, you know, a false conviction, had to recover from open heart surgery in a in a dungeon is kind of, if that doesn't shock your conscience, I don't know, it does, you know. Um, but he is, all things considered, doing well and recovering. And uh, he just had a new, he sent out, a, you know, a couple notes of thanks um, Noel Hanrahan, who does prison radio, was able to meet him in person uh, the first time anyone's been able to see him in person since the start of the pandemic and those lockdowns. And he just published a new uh, note of sort of thanks and an update. It's something interesting. And 
Uh, he never talks about his own case. He never talks about his health. Um, but this commentary, he does just that. He sort of says, like, all right, I hate this, but it's better that it comes from me in my own voice. Um, so that's at prisonradio.org. Um, you know, he, his, the, the movement has saved his life many, many times. The reason that he's alive is because of this decades-long mass mobilization, international mass mobilization. Um, you mentioned Delbert Africa. Uh, shortly before his release um, uh, in early 2020, um, he was sort of, he disappeared. No one heard from him for several days while he was still in prison. Um, and it sort of all hands were on deck because in the 90s when Merle Africa died, it was a situation where she was missing for several days. No one could find out where she was. We found out that she had been transferred to a hospital. And then before anyone knew something was wrong, she was dead. Um, the same thing happened to Phil Africa in 2015. Um, and then when Delbert Africa suddenly vanished, there was a great concern that the same thing was going to happen to him. And you know, through struggle, we were able to get him out. This is what happened to Mumia prior to his heart surgery. So it was one of the reasons for this very intense mobilization around his birthday on April 24th. Um, but now that he's gotten you know, medical treatment, the demand is the same. He needs to be released immediately. Um, he's 67, you know, he has serious health problems. Um, and, you know, the, the reason that Mumia is, has the, the level of prominence that he does is because of a, you know, very concerted strategy by black political prisoners um, early on to, to say, we're going to focus on freeing Mumia because the threats against his life are the most serious, you know. Of all the that generation of Black Panthers who got locked up, he was the one who got the death penalty. You know, um, that's why he's been prioritized. But as a result, when we fight to free Mumia, we fight to free free them all. Well said, Ted Kelly. Where can uh, people follow you in your work? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Teddy Redder. Um, definitely go to workers.org. Um, where you can find our uh, um, weekly section on the prison abolition movement um, in Workers' World. And um, there's a little show you may have heard of called Means Morning News that's that right. I recommend you check out. Every now and then you might see somebody you recognize on there. That's right. That's right. We've got a, we've got a report coming out uh, next week from Ted. Uh, everybody should check that out. And, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And I can't wait to get back to... Uh, shitting on Krasner now that he's won this election we can go back to uh holding his feet to the fire that's right that's I'm right. certainly back in my comfort zone now that Baker got defeated <laughs> <laughs> thanks Ted alright boys talk to you soon